Out of the many places in the world to launch or expand a fintech product or service, why go to the Philippines? What makes the Philippine fintech scene a unique and challenging opportunity for its participants? What do the Philippine fintech market and legal landscape look like? All these questions and more as we go through Episode 1 of ThinkTech, a tech podcast series. This is Prime Movers, a legal podcast that covers the latest and relevant trends and insights on Philippine legal issues and topics, expertly discussed and diluted down by the experienced legal team at Gariseta, Africa, Kauton, and Saavedra. Again, this is Prime Movers. For our pilot episode, let's welcome Gariseta partners Christine Torres and Mark Gariseta. Let's tune in as they take us on a front seat journey into the rise of Philippine fintech. Hi everyone and welcome to Prime Movers. This is Christine Torres, a partner at Gorisata and a member of the firm's corporate and technology media and telecommunications groups. Joining me today is a renowned and leading Philippine tech lawyer, a prime mover in the industry, Mark S. Gorisata. Mark is also our firm's managing partner and head of the corporate and technology media and telecommunications groups. Mark has been recognized as one of the Philippines' top 100 lawyers for 2020 and 2021 by Asia Business Law Journal. He was also recognized by Asian Legal Business as one of the top PMT lawyers in Asia and ranked number one in the Philippines in the tech and fintech space. With pioneering expertise on the law and digital assets, fintech, blockchain, virtual currencies, e-commerce, data privacy, and artificial intelligence, Mark is the legal counsel to the biggest and most impactful technology and online companies in the Philippines. He was also awarded as the Philippines Managing Partner of the Year for 2020, named as one of the dealmakers of Asia for 2021, and among the top 10 Philippines Clients' Choice Lawyers for 2021 and 2022. Welcome to Prime Movers, Mark. Hi, Christine, and hello to our pilot listeners. So, Mark, let's first talk about the Philippine fintech landscape. For obvious reasons, the Philippine digital economy and a lot of our day-to-day transactions now depend on it. But for our listeners, it can seem like a broad and vague concept, right? So perhaps to better understand what Philippine fintech is, can you give us a bird's-eye view of this landscape? Yes. In all gatherings that I've attended these past few years, whether virtual or face-to-face, there's always a discussion that touches on fintech, whether this is digital payments, cryptocurrencies, or NFTs, and the like. And the conversations on all aspects of fintech are rapidly expanding in scope and audience all the time. We could say that this podcast and our pilot listeners attest to that. Currently, there are over 222 fintech companies in the Philippines dominating the various aspects of our day-to-day, from digital banking, to payments, to lending, and so on. From my observation, I can say that the fintech industry is dominating the financial service space in our country, and I am pretty sure that our listeners can agree to this. One of the pivotal events that shaped Philippine fintech to what it is now is, of course, the pandemic, which really accelerated the Philippines' digital transformation. By necessity also, Filipinos and the Philippine economy really had no choice but to adopt fintech in order to normalize economic activities. 
We can all see this in the rise of digital banking, money service businesses, and various other electronic financial products and services. Along with the rise in financial transactions, our countrymen also led in the adoption of blockchain-related technologies, such as a play-to-earn token ecosystem and non-fungible tokens or the NFTs, which further increased the circulation of cryptocurrencies in the Philippines. Is this also correlated to the pandemic? Definitely. Why? Because it presented an economic opportunity for Filipinos to earn from the safety of their homes, and even with just their mobile phones. Of course now, because of the bear market, the industry has stalled, if not sunk. But then again, not yet considered dead. But at its peak, crypto and NFTs really caught the attention and imagination of Filipinos. As you mentioned, Mark, the pandemic accelerated the Philippines' digital transformation. Were our regulators prepared for this hastened digital transformation? And I guess as a follow-up question, how do our regulators keep up with the ever-changing and fast-paced fintech space? Believe it or not, Christine, the Philippines is actually one of the leading jurisdictions when it comes to fintech, not just in Asia but abroad. For example, long before the pandemic, we already had electronic money issuers and virtual currency exchanges, now virtual asset service providers, which are licensed by the BSP. Even our Securities and Exchange Commission had the Digital Asset Exchange and Digital Asset Offering draft rules by then. Arguably, if the pandemic did not hit us, perhaps we could have been one of the key jurisdictions that already regulate DAEs and DAOs. What's key into practicing fintech law in the Philippines is knowing how to engage regulators and being aware of their style in regulating. Let's look into two key regulators, for example. First, our BSP, or Philippine Central Bank. It regulates all activities that deal with the movement of funds. So for instance, it regulates activities that involve your e-wallets, crypto conversions, remittances, etc. The Central Bank has been one of the key fintech advocates in the country and is actually a model regulator for embracing innovative technologies that help uplift the unbanked and underbanked. Aside from the regulations, we already do allow various types of fintech initiatives. The BSP is also creating a regulatory sandbox framework that would allow a fintech to operate on a test-and-learn approach subject to the criteria or qualifications of the BSP. Second, another key regulator is the Securities and Exchange Commission. The SEC regulates securities and all investment products, while the SEC has also embraced innovative technologies, such as through the regulation of crowdfunding platforms and the draft regulations on DAO and DAE. It takes a more conservative approach overall when it comes to regulation, and the availability of sandbox solutions may be a bit challenging. All fintech regulations in the Philippines are, however, open to developing and keeping up with the needs of the industry while protecting customer or investors' rights. Speaking of creating regulations, it's also important to note that for a regulation to be effective, it calls for going beyond just issuing policy framework. Regulatory drafting and development should involve active engagement and collaboration between all stakeholders. A healthy debate should always be welcome to encourage the best ideas for the benefit of the government and the public. I have seen this with the BSP and the SEC in my years of participating in shaping the legal landscape. 
But I think a step further would be to continue enhancing these legal frameworks through more systematic and collaborative discussions. For example, by creating technical committees with private stakeholders as committee members, including international players to determine global best practices, and of course, inviting other relevant government agencies like the National Privacy Commission for Data Privacy or the National Bureau of Investigation for Cybercrime Matters. Discussing and involving stakeholders should also be a long-term approach and not just a one-time or regulation-specific solution. Regulators learn and formulate better rules by involving stakeholders and drivers in fintech. At the same time, private stakeholders formulate and offer better and safer products and services when they are aware of the history and the rationale behind regulatory guidelines and policies instead of just being asked to blindly follow new rules and regulations. I totally agree. So, now that we have established the current state of fintech and the promise it has for the future, next thing that comes to mind is regulation. Are we talking about the VSP-regulated entities? And what fintech activities are currently regulated? Thanks, Christine. The main regulators of fintech business and related activities in the Philippines are the SEC, BSP, and the DICT, or the Department of Information, Communications, and Technology. The SEC is the primary regulator of corporate entities, securities, and other financial institutions such as lending and financing companies. Recognizing the intricacies of fintech, the SEC recently created the Philippine Finance and Technology Innovation Office, or the Philippine Tech Office, which hears and reviews all business models, products, and services of fintech entities wishing to set up a domestic entity in the Philippines or amend its corporate purposes to involve fintech activities. The SEC also seeks to regulate DAEs and DAOs with the proposed DAE rules and the proposed digital asset offering rules. Notably, the proposed framework for the DAE rules, as currently drafted, potentially broadens the SEC's jurisdiction to cover any and all digital asset activities as an activity that may be deemed EDAE. These rules, however, have languished, sadly, in the draft stages for more than two years now. Presently, the SEC has their hands full in regulating hundreds if not thousands of lending and financing companies. The lending and financing industries have been in the hot water with the regulators for the past few years due to the rise of unfair lending practices and data privacy violations of certain bad players. We think this is what prompted the SEC to issue a moratorium on the registration of online lending companies. As you know, OLPs are mobile lending applications, websites, and other fintech-enabled systems where the services and products of financial or lending companies are made available. Without an OLP registration, even with a financing or lending license, a company cannot offer loans or financial products and services online. The SEC has recently issued the draft guidelines on the registration and licensing of OLPs, which provides a thorough application and review process for OLP applications. In reality, it's hard to say when the OLP moratorium will be lifted and when the SEC will start processing OLP registrations again, actually. What we're hearing now is that the SEC is trying to create a new department that will focus on financing and lending companies instead of letting one overloaded department, which is the Corporate Governance and Finance Department, or the CGFD, handle 
and monitor all of the lending and financing companies. The BSP, on the other hand, regulates digital banks, money service businesses, electronic payment and financial services providers, operator of payment systems, and electronic or digital banking services and other electronic operations. While the DICT takes the helm when it comes to development and implementing programs designed to boost digital transformation in the country, the DICT also regulates Private Express and Messenger Delivery Services, or PEMEDES, offering logistics and courier services, which have been an essential part of the fulfillment aspect of e-commerce platforms in our country. Okay, so in practice, how does a typical fintech startup or client deal with regulations in terms of setting up an entity or securing a license? Christine, clients do not like to hear this phrase, but the reality is, as you know, it really depends. When potential clients approach us and seek our advice in setting up an entity, the process goes like this. We get to know first the business model, the commercial considerations, the detailed transactional and fund flows. The point of this is to really determine what financial products and services does the client want to launch and operate in the Philippines. Formally, this can be done through a legal memorandum or opinion. In that document, we discuss the applicable laws and regulations for a client and or its investors to see. Then we also map out the potential license applications, the timeline, and basically the game plan to get the idea up and running into the Philippine market. Of course, it's easier said than done. But in reality, while our regulators are open to many kinds of fintech activities, the licensing process here in the Philippines is rigorous, as it should be, to protect the public. Which is also why fintech licenses in the Philippines are highly coveted. Okay, so I think you mentioned this in one of your articles, Mark, that innovators push the regulators to understand and adopt. Based on your own assessment, do you think financial regulators and policymakers in the Philippines are receptive to fintech innovation and technology-driven new entrants? Yes, definitely. Our government is actually very supportive of this tech emergence. The Banco Central ng Pilipinas is currently in its quest for a tech-savvy economy. To borrow the words of our former BSP governor, Benjamin Diokno, technology aids exponential growth in output. In finance, it makes transactions easier and faster, which speeds up income generation. Here, you can see the BSP's eagerness to adapt, and this has also translated through their issuance of the several regulations concerning and affecting the fintech industry. Okay, so you mentioned that there's an eagerness on the part of the BSP to pursue a tech-savvy economy, right? Can you give our listeners key developments in the financial service space where the BSP played a vital role? Of course, there are actually a lot of key developments in the financial service space. Perhaps the most significant regulatory issuance by the BSP for the past two years is BSP Circular Number 1105, which created the guidelines on establishing digital banks. For a limited time, this sparked fierce competition among the fintech industry to secure the limited digital bank license offered by the BSP, a license which allows a bank to fully operate via digital means, except with the physical head office, as compared to traditional banks, which must have a counterpart uh, brick-and-mortar office or branch for all its financial products and services. 
The BSP also issued other key fintech regulations concerning open finance, IT outsourcing, risk management, corporate governance, and rural banks, particularly in strengthening their capital build-up programs. Other forthcoming BSP regulations also concern the amended EMI guidelines, financial consumer protection guidelines, and the regulatory sandbox framework, which is designed to standardize and streamline the regulatory evaluation for innovative technologies. Speaking of EMIs, this has been an interesting area the past few months. We know that the BSP has issued a moratorium on EMI applications. With this, how can potential new players lawfully engage in this activity? And can we actually have new players now? And lastly, are there any new legal development on the licensing of EMIs, Mark? Electronic money issuers or EMIs heavily compete in the financial service space. They have deeply embedded themselves as accessible and efficient payment options in physical stores and e-commerce platforms. However, despite the current moratorium on the processing of EMI licenses imposed by the BSP, they are still important key players and the BSP is also already preparing for their emergence once the moratorium is lifted, as an amendment to the EMI regulations is forthcoming. Right now, given the moratorium, one of the options for new players is to probably acquire EMI licenses from existing entities. This means that these licenses are nothing short of being hot commodities. Note, however, that EMI licenses are non-transferable, Thus, the only way to get your hands into one of them is to acquire a company which has an existing EMI license. This has opened up a lot of opportunities for M&A transactions. Another approach, but is quite difficult, if not impossible now, is to apply for a sandbox license. However, the BSP has yet to finalize the rules for this, although we do preempt that given the moratorium, the BSP will only grant sandbox licenses on meritorious applications, for example, by proving that innovative technologies and solutions will be applied to bridge a market gap, which is not being addressed or tackled by existing licensed players. There are other creative ways to navigate this, but I will reserve that for the next session. There is also an increased adoption of digital payments and transactions here in the Philippines. And this can be seen by the increasing number of operators of payment systems. And since you have the most experience in this space, Mark, can you share with our listeners the latest development on OPS regulations? Yes. Thanks, Christine. Well, the birth of uh, numerous OPS entities allowed the market to have competitive payment gateways collecting agents, and payment aggregators for digital transactions. In its response to this growing OPS sector, the BSP issued BSP Circular Number 1127, which provides a governance framework for OPS compliance. This was followed by the issuance of BSP Circular Number 1138, which provides for the regulatory reporting standards for OPS. In terms of money transfer services, what has been the key developments on this aspect? In this aspect, EMIs, together with remittance agents, money changers, foreign exchange dealers, and virtual asset service providers, have also enabled expedient and affordable access to both local and cross-border remittance transactions. The BSP also issued the Open Finance Framework, which is designed to increase and standardize the adoption of open finance technologies in the Philippines. Now, let's shift gears for a bit and talk about another hot topic. 
you also mentioned that there is an emergence of blockchain technologies in our country. But how is it being regulated now? And is it being regulated at all? As I have said, the Philippines has seen increased adoption of cryptocurrencies through play-to-earn token ecosystems and a growing participation in NFT projects, giving Philippines the recognition as being among the top countries with NFT holders. In parallel, the BSP also updated its regulatory framework for virtual currency exchanges, which is now referred to under BSP Circular Number 1108 as virtual asset service providers, with either custodial or non-custodial functions for virtual assets. Through this circular, the BSP has strengthened the anti-money laundering compliance requirements for BASPs by having extensive documentary requirements for ultimate beneficial owners as well as the travel rule, reportorial requirement for virtual asset transfers of customers. So in relation to cryptocurrencies or crypto assets, are there any Philippine regulations in place? Yes. BASPs, which allow the conversion of virtual assets to fiat and the transmission and storage thereof, are licensed and regulated by the BSP. Virtual assets, likewise exhibiting payment utilities, may also be subject to BSP regulations, being the regulator of activities that involve payment instruments and remittance of funds. Note that the BSP recently released a memorandum closing the regular application window for new VASP licenses, three years from September 1, 2022. Nonetheless, existing BSP-supervised financial institutions who wish to expand operations through offering BASP services, including non-custodial BASPs, may still apply for this license, provided that they have a safer composite rating of at least stable or a CAMELS composite rating of at least three. However, outside of these activities, the regulation of crypto assets fall under the Philippines Securities Law Framework as applicable. The long-awaited DAE and DAO rules of the SEC are anticipated to broaden the regulated activities involving crypto assets to include trading, listing of security tokens, and other products and services relating thereto. However, these regulations have been delayed due to other matters that the SEC has grappled with due to the COVID-19 pandemic, particularly in relation to alleviating the economic and financial stress amongst Philippine businesses. Now for our last but very crucial topic. We all know that the private sectors are co-equal players in this fintech emergence. But Mark, can you give us examples on how private individuals and other key players contribute to the development of the fintech industry? Yes, private individuals and key players contribute by providing valuable insight to the government for a more effective development of a legal framework that will benefit all that is involved. For instance, our law firm, Guriseta, Africa, Kauton, and Saavedra, and myself, have been previously consulted by different government agencies like the Banco Central ng Pilipinas in order to get our insights in effectively regulating this novel industry. As managing partner, I am part of the BSP's Open Finance Oversight Committee as a representative of the Fintech Philippines Association and the Fintech Alliance. And I'm also part of BSP's Financial Inclusion Steering Committee representing Phoenix. Okay, so is there a standardized, one-size-fits-all set of requirements in setting up a fintech company in the Philippines? Oh, no. 
there's no standardized set of requirements in setting up a fintech company. It all depends on the kind of product or service that an entity seeks to provide. For instance, to determine the required licenses to obtain from various government agencies, an analysis of the business model, as well as an analysis of proposed activities, products, and services would be necessary. Our law firm has assisted several fintech companies in successfully obtaining their regulatory licenses from different government agencies like the BSP and the SEC. From analyzing their proposed business model to provide assistance in government compliance after processing or procuring their licenses, our law firm has it covered. So we went from establishing the landscape, talking about regulations, discussing the future, and then touching on components of fintech. As a prime mover, I'd like to ask you this, Mark. What is your main takeaway as we continuously delve into this age of digital transformation? Thanks, Christine. Surely, our future as Filipinos is promising and bright as we take this journey of digital transformation. As a Filipino lawyer, I am proud to be witnessing and taking a part in this transformation. We are in the advent of a digital frontier, and we must adapt to these technological initiatives. This will pave the way in overcoming what seems to be a traditional way of doing life. There is a digital transformation in this archipelago, and we must look and move forward as it will change the way we live our lives in the next years to come. This is only the dawn of a new digital age. There is much more to work on and a lot more to look forward to. Thank you so much for your time, Mark. And that is it for our first episode of Prime Movers. We hope you enjoyed and learned from our discussion. In our next episode, we will be talking about how to manage infrastructure transitions. Make sure to catch it and see you in our next podcast session.